Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And this week, don't miss our special audio-only episode with James Lindsay. I don't have to tell you who he is because you already know. So this week on our audio-only podcast, we talked about social-emotional learning, or SEL which is basically Marxist brainwashing that's entrenched in every American public school and all the pedagogy and in all the teachers' colleges. So go to your podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, not on YouTube. You'll only find it on audio. Great conversation. Don't miss it. This week on the TV show, though, we are going to talk about the Burlington, Vermont school superintendent. Actually, uh, yeah, the school superintendent. Who cares so very, very much about trans and non-binary youth that he believes that his staff have the right to leave school property and remove stickers that are not on school property but are on public property that he characterizes as hateful towards students. We're going to hit a little bit on chest feeding, queer and trans rivers, yes rivers, girls named after luxury cars, and sundry 2022 bullshit. And we'll wrap up with a look at nuclear waste disposal chief Sam Britton, who is a cross-dressing transvestite fetishist panty snatcher who got himself caught stealing women's clothes at the Minneapolis airport. Let's go. All right. I would like to introduce you to Burlington School Superintendent, excuse me, Tom Flanagan. There's Tom on your screen. Tom Flanagan sent out an email this week. But first, actually, let let me give you a little background. Let me let me let me give you a little more on him. So here are some quotations from the biography on the school district website. Again, this is the superintendent of the Burlington School District. Quote, he that is Tom believes that an inclusive and rigorous public education is essential to a healthy community and is dedicated to overturning historical inequities that primarily affect students of color, students who live in poverty, and students with disabilities. Very first thing on his bio. During his career, Mr. Flanagan has worked to promote equity in education and to tackle the opportunity gap. He believes shared responsibility among the community, culturally relevant teaching and deep learning and family engagement are the foundations of this work, this good, good work, this beautiful trouble. (laughs) What opportunity gap? You notice, right, like all teachers today, there's no mention of academic rigor, no mention of actual competence in subject matter. It's all about race, equity, race, equity, trans, race, equity, equity, love, love, community, love, love, love. I mean, what's important isn't reading, writing, arithmetic, history, anything like that, geography. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm using all these outdated terms. I mean, social studies, English, language, arts. That's not important. What's important is flying the Marxist trans race flag. Because we all know that discrimination is worse than ever now. It's worse than ever in 2022. It's way worse than ever. And Mr. Flanagan cares so deeply and so expansively 
about the children and the community, that he's not just concerned with a high school campus over which he has jurisdiction, but with the quality of the neighborhood around the high school campus. Here's, um, I'm gonna read you his email in chunks, digestible chunks. I'm afraid if I give it to you all at one time, you'll sick it back up. Quote, Dear Burlington School District families, students, and staff, I'm writing today to ask for your support of the trans and LGBTQIA plus communities in Burlington. It has come to my attention that there is a Burlington resident placing transphobic, hate speech-filled stickers in public places. These stickers are placed on the backs of street signs, light poles, utility boxes, and other areas, many of which are very close to our schools. Going on. Our property services team is aware of the issue and is working to remove stickers when they are reported to us. If you see one of these stickers, please tell your principal and they will work with our property services team to get them removed as soon as possible. The property services team has also begun applying lubricants. Yes, lubricants to signs on Burlington School District property to make it more difficult to apply the stickers. Lubricants like like this, like um, like Astroglide, or is it one of those dry graphite um, sorts of lubricants? Are you really slicking them up? Yeah, <laughs> you know it's funny. I know you guys couldn't see it in that picture of Astroglide. <laughs> I got that from Walmart's website. This is how bad everything is today. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's. It's a lubricant that is also, according to the copy, a moisturizer. <laughs> Must be a Burlington High School grad who wrote that copy. More from uh, Mr. Flanagan's email. Quote, it is frustrating, disturbing, and disgusting to me and many others that this is being done in our town and in such close proximity to our schools. These stickers have real negative impacts on the mental and physical health of our trans and LGBTQ plus communities and those who are working to understand their identity. They send the message that they are not welcomed, loved, or supported for being their whole selves. So, disgusting, huh? Strong words. So these stickers have negative impacts on mental and physical health, says Mr. Flanagan. Well, does um, does looking at them cause kids' bones to become porous? Do they do, do the stickers increase cancer risk? Do they have the unintended effect of sterilizing children permanently? No. Oh, okay. All right. Just thought I'd ask. You know, I. Let it strike you as odd. Let it strike you as odd, again, the way it used to strike you. When you would see kids, not kids, schools that don't talk about learning, that don't talk about academic performance, don't even mention it, but talk about, quote, loving and, quote, affirming kids and their whole selves. I know you're used to it by now. Get unused to it. This is, I'm, I'm gonna have to, I, I have an essay in me, I have a substack in me, I have to get to this slow slide 
um, into decline that everybody wants to say is not a slide into decline. It's driving me crazy. Well, you know, yeah, but now I'm used to it. Or, or they don't even say that. They're, you know, we're all the frog boiling in the pot of water. Half a degree by half a degree. And people don't like to see the end result. They don't like to look into the future and say, this pot is actually going to boil, which means it's going to kill me. They don't want to deal with that. So they just say, oh, no, it's always been this temperature. And, and even if it hasn't, this temperature is fine and you like it. <laughs> all right. Talk to me when you're full soup. Um, all this stuff, this loving and affirming, this is not a love language. This is a predator's language. Learn to recognize that. Wolves in sheep's clothing. A little bit more from Mr. Flanagan's email. These acts of hate are just one way the LGBTQIA plus community experiences pain and discrimination in our society, and they are directly connected to the disproportionate violence this community experiences on a regular basis in our local community and our nation. What disproportionate violence, Tom? Name it, get specific. Where, show it to me. It's not happening. Shootings are going up in Burlington. Crime is going up all over Burlington. And guess who it's not targeted at? Trans and non-binary. Honestly. The stickers. The stickers cause violence to this community directly. And, and putting these stickers up is, is an act of hate. Very, very strong language. Now, you're used to public officials blaming people like me, conservatives, uh, Trumpers, uh, my friend Christopher Aaron Felker, the chairman of the Burlington, Vermont Republican Party. You're used to hearing the media blame people like us when a trans identified person gets beat up or gets murdered. You know, it's, it's all because we say things, bad things, things like uh, the state shouldn't have a law that allows children to be forcibly injected with puberty blockers. When we say those bad things, we're getting trans women killed. That's the insanity these people are expecting you to swallow. Okay. <laughs> it goes on. There's more. I remain at a loss for words following the November 19th tragedy at Club Q in Colorado. Of course where five lives were taken in a mass shooting in an LGBTQ club. This senseless violence and hatred has to stop. Please know that we vehemently condemn all acts of hate, prejudice, and harassment in the Burlington School District and anywhere. I hope the school district in the city of Burlington can be the light needed for our friends, neighbors, and family members who have the right to live their lives in peace and who deserve as much. And it goes on. I have been connecting with our team to discuss our next steps as a community, a community to ensure our LGBTQ plus colleagues and students are safe and supported in the Burlington School District. As part of this, I have also asked the Office of Equity to consult with members of last year's LGBTQ plus task force and other co-conspirators against hate. If you are interested in being part of this conversation, please let me know. I will forward your information to our Office of Equity. And finally, please, if you see something, say something. But as importantly, please be the light needed in our community. Stand up. Let your friends know that you are there for them and that you care about their well-being. In partnership and love, Tom. All right.
Mr. Flanagan. Take your partnership and your love, place them in the middle of your office chair, lower your trousers, and sit all the way down. Okay, buddy? <sighs> Audience, listeners, would you like to see the stickers that he's talking about? Would you like to see what they say, the acts of hate that are directly connected to the murder of LGBTQIA plus children and people? Because I have pictures of them, and you know why I have pictures of them? Because I know the people who are putting them up. And if you're listening, Tom Flanagan, eat your heart out. I know who they are. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not gonna tell anyone. I am cooperating with them, and I am gonna help them elude your detection. Mm -hmm. Here are the stickers. Can we put those on the screen, please, Kevin? I will read them to you. There are I will read them to you. They are hard to read. Um, there are three. The last, uh, the last one just has hashtags for more information. So I'm just going to read you the first two of the hateful stickers. Sticker number one. No one was ever born into the wrong body. That's sticker one. Sticker two. Lifelong medical dependency is not kindness. It's a business model. Those are the hateful stickers. Those are the ones that are putting children in jeopardy. Those are the ones that are leading to disproportionate violence against trans people in our community. These are the statements that provoked that kind of virtue signaling histrionic hysteria from Tom Flanagan, which you can be absolutely certain has worked. Almost everybody receiving that email almost certainly believes that somebody is putting up stickers that say, kill all trans people. And it, it does, you know, I just thought, you know, I wish they'd watch the show and see, but you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The people who, who want to believe this and have an emotional need to believe this will continue to believe it. They could stand in front of these stickers on this very street corner and they could read these things. They'd immediately see the disconnect and they'd put it right out of their mind. They'd still say it was getting people killed because they're in a cult. They're not in their right minds. They're not thinking. They're brainwashed. A group of citizens who are trying to wake up the adults in Vermont and actually protect children from, yes, yes, Nazi doctor medical experimentation. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not ginning up some sort of bigger controversy than it is. This is in actual objective fact, the kind of thing that Joseph Mengele did. Fact, yes. We're trying to stop that from happening, but we're the torturers. We're the sadists. We're the ones driving children to death. Reversal, if I were a Christian, I'd call it satanic because that's what Satan does. Satan lies. That's the original sin, really. Lying. We're gonna have a little interview now with Sandy Baird to see what she thinks about this. Sandy is a remarkable woman, a lifelong Vermonter, civil libertarian, self-taught lawyer, activist, and feminist. So let's see what she has to say. All right, welcome Sandy. Thank you for joining us. I know that you have had a chance to look over the email uh, that was right. sent by Burlington School District Superintendent Tom Flanagan. And I wanted to get your take on it, particularly a civil libertarian's take. Um, what did you think of the school? What did you think of his characterization of these stickers as harmful to children in the community? 
Well, number one, I don't know what the stickers said. As far as I could tell in the article, I don't know what they are saying. Do, are you? I mean, so I have no idea if yeah, they're, they're, what they're saying, and I don't yeah. know that they're harmful. And by the way, I don't think speech, uh, sometimes it hurts people's feelings. I guess you could then call some speech harmful, but that is not how the Constitution regulates or doesn't regulate free speech. Free speech is speech. And of course, it might hurt people's feelings of all communities, but it still is free. And I regard speech as a lot better than actions which might occur if you suppress speech, like punching people. So I would encourage speech, even though the test is not harmful to certain communities. It rather is that free speech is an absolute value in itself, whether or not it harms people. It engages people, though, in debate, which is serious, seriously a very important action that takes place. So, yeah. I, but beyond well, that, I don't know what these stickers said. Do you? Yeah, well, I'll I'll, t- I'll tell you, I, and, and your point is well taken. I, I I agree with you. I think that I think your analysis is correct. But ev- even if um, the matter of feelings were at issue here, these mm-hmm. are I'm going to read to you the text of the yeah. stickers um, that Mr. Flanagan claims are harmful and hateful. So sticker number one says, "No one was ever born into the wrong body." Sticker number two says, well, "What's wrong with that?" Medical. Go ahead. I, I'm not sure. Here, here's sticker number two. Lifelong medical dependency is not kindness. That's all they say. And these are acts of hate, and they're out there terrorizing our community and our LGBTQ children, which we hear constantly. I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, I have been, Christopher and Felker has been um, accused by Vermont Media, specifically VT Digger and the Rutland Herald, of uh, uttering speech acts that have contributed to the murder of a trans woman uh, and directly to violence uh, against other people. So this doesn't surprise me coming from the Burlington School District, but what I'm, I'm also curious about this. I think I got from that email that Mr. Flanagan, the superintendent, believes that he has the right to direct right. his staff to leave school property and to go onto property that is not owned by the school and to remove stickers from street signs. Um, do they do they have jurisdiction off their school grounds? No, I, I no, I don't think that they do. But I don't know if anybody. Um, I mean, can't anyone remove stickers? I mean, I, I think that that's also kind of an act of free speech in itself. But I don't think he has particularly <laughs> right. jurisdiction to send people that are employed by the school district out to do it. I mean, as a taxpayer, I don't want my money going into that. I think that's an improper use of his of his funds, frankly, and his paid employees. But you're asking, I think, two questions. If I saw a sticker that I didn't like on a telephone pole, it's kind of my act of free speech to try to remove it. It's not doing anybody any harm. Um, But I wouldn't regard, I would not do that as a human being and as a person because I believe very much in free speech. So I probably wouldn't do it. You know, I would, but I don't know that I don't have the right to do it. I don't think he should be hired using my taxpayers' money to, right. I don't think it's within yeah, that, his purview to be the 
speech regulator and, and and send out hired people that he hires and pays to go out and get, basically police the community. No, I don't think he, he that, should do it. Or that's that my question, because it. it seems to me I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a constitutional expert, but I am you know, I'm a former journalist and I'm pretty familiar with uh, free speech jurisprudence. And it just seems to me that. You know, the emails like this are are starting to get, for me, uncomfortably close to the line of a state actor. And that's the school. This is a state mm-hmm. actor. Um, uh, really threatening the ability of, of citizens and taxpayers to exercise their First Amendment rights. I mean, you know, it's probably yeah. not legally actionable. But, you know, the characterization of these stickers and the intent and motivation and effect of the people behind it, you know, if you were to name a person... It seems to me it would be getting a little bit close to defamation. I mean, you know. Well, I, I don't. I, I mean, is, I want to. Right. I want to go back to something you said. Why aren't? Why isn't yep. what they've said about you in public? Vermont Digger, you said, has said that you guys. Vermont Digger and the Rutland Herald. Why isn't that defamation? Oh, I believe that it is. Um, but right. in in the current system, the current right. political system we're in. My, you know, look, um, people who don't hew to a particular radical woke politics don't have effective rights. They may, in fact, have those rights under the law, but in actual practice, de facto, we don't have them. There are no consequences, no consequences for uh, people who defame if they're in the favored group. They can do anything they want in our direction. We can't object. That seems to be how it works. Well, you can object. Of course, you can object. You're asking two questions. You should and can object. However, you might not win right now. Right. And I would, yeah, exactly. I mean, I would really seriously consider uh, at least fighting about it. Um, I yep. mean, that's that's what could make us a movement, only if we all decide to fight about it. Those those two things well, that you quoted to me, no one is born in the wrong. That is, I would guess, very self-assertive. And that's a good thing to say that no one was born. I thought we were all supposed to like our bodies. Wasn't that what we were supposed to do in the 60s? Yeah, yeah, we 70s? were supposed to until we about five or six years like? ago. Yep. Right. But weren't we also uh, yep. supposed to like our sexualities and and, you yes. know, uh, kind of affirm our bodies? Rather, I'm telling you, the people that are most hateful of their own bodies usually are females. So it's very important to yep. tell a girl, no, you were not born in the wrong body. You are a girl, period. Or a woman, period. Agreed. Women. I think that is what you just said is is kindness. That is yes, kindness. I do. When you well, don't, look at I was when a, you right. don't collude with people's, um, you know. And I'm not. I'm not casting aspersions. Um, I've had mental illness myself. You do not collude with mental illness and delusion. You don't affirm it. That's not actually kindness. And like you said, Sandy, we all knew this five or six years ago. The zeitgeist has changed so rapidly. And it leaves me with the question, where where do we go from here? What can we do as individual citizens or as working together to change this conversation and to change the atmosphere so that somebody like a school superintendent like Mr. Flanagan does not feel comfortable and does not feel like it's his place to characterize members of the community as as hateful or as engaging. In, how do we, what do we do? <laughs> I mean, we scream about doing, it. I've been screaming about it. Just what, what you're do we do? doing now, 
just the only thing we can do. And I have given a lot of thought. I'm telling you, it's my kind of mission and I'm old. I don't have that much time left to tell you the truth, but I want in the final years to change the narrative. That's all we can do. The narrative is killing people's self-esteem. How can you tell a girl that she was born in the wrong body because she wants to be a boy. Look at, I have a trans, I had a transgender brother. For all throughout his life, he felt that he was a girl or a woman. And he took enormous amounts of hormones. He didn't do the final surgery, but he took enormous amounts of hormones. He died of a massive heart attack at 67 because he felt he was born in the wrong body. I wish to I wish people never felt that way about themselves. I, for instance, didn't like my body either, but I knew I was a girl, but I was a wicked tomboy. Would they have said to me, "Well, then you should go do this transgender stuff because you yes, I they wanted would have. to be a boy." Okay, I wanted to be a boy. I wouldn't mind being a man now. The reason is man have, men have no more fun. Frankly, they have more fun than women do. Women are responsible for the upbringing of the future generation, and that's not always fun. Men have more fun. However, I knew I was a girl. I would never have done anything right. to my body, ever. And girls should kind of have the same opportunities as men being girls and not think that to have fun, they have got to change their bodies. Yeah, and that, and unfortunately, that me, it is, it's, that it's, a cross, is, it's a cross-sex phenomenon now. I agree. Boy children agree. are also being targeted by this. And it's, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's you know, it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite I know, of the I ethos agree. that that we used to have. And, and um, I agree with you that we really do need to. To change this narrative, and I thank you for all the work that you do to do that, and and thanks for sharing it with us on the show today. Maybe we'll do some narrative changing uh, more later, too. I hope so. So am I saying goodbye to you then, right now? Are we? Well, um, you don't have to. It's generally considered yeah. good fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I don't want to take I don't want to take much more of your time, Sandy. But I think. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. I hope to meet you in person sometime. Thank you. And See we will later. soon. Thank you for making okay, the time. Great. Sandy yeah, Baird, Vermont lawyer and civil yeah. libertarian. There's a new perk for disaffected subscribers, and it's a good one. Patreon and Subscribestar donors, as well as PayPal donors, now have instant access to our backstage Discord server. Join multiple topic-based chat rooms and 24-7 open voice chat, and even virtual events on a main stage for hosted conversations and backstage podcast recording sessions. It's not Twitter, and you don't have to pretend Bruce Jenner's vagina is real. Sign up today. Sorry. Are you listening to me? Sabi, are you listening to me? Totally. Then they said they're open to deepening their relationship with me at other galleries in the foreseeable future. And I was like, what does that mean? Are these chia vulvas? So there I am thinking I'm getting a very subtle brush off. And then they offer me. Are you ready? Yep. You seem weird. I'm not. You sure? Yep. Berlin. 
they offered you the city in Germany? Da. That's Russian. To work at a gallery in the queerest city in the universe. Germany literally legalized the third gender option on birth certificates. Can you imagine curating there? Well, paid internshiping there. Sabi, I'm gonna have the most delicious orgy. God is like, good. Yeah, totally, I love Wakbar. Ch-ch-ch-chia. Oh my God. If you're only listening, let me describe the visual feast that you've missed. This was a skit. This is alleged comedy from the CBC, the Canadian Broadcast Corporation, Canada's version of um, America's National Public Radio. Just as bad, maybe even worse. Oh, it's neck and neck, whatever. They intermarry. <laughs> Chia Volva. And what you have is an art, a modern art gallery, of course, which has no art in it. And a, a no, not life-size. If it were life-size, we'd have real trouble. Um, a great big green piece of female genitalia that looks like it's made out of a growing plant. And... For accuracy's sake, we have the labia majora surrounded by pubic hair in the form of uh, little fern tendrils that one of our stars is it's, it's snip, snip, snipping at. Then we have the clitoral hood and we have the labia menorah. No, no, not like the Jewish candlestick, small minor menorah. <laughs> Ladies, I did that for you. You're always saying that men don't know anything about female genitals. Buh. <laughs> you know, and, and the two people in here, they're, they're both uh, victims of self-deliberate uglification. Um, the dude there has got a woman's hairstyle on and woman's clothes because he's like non-binary or something. He's just a schlub. And this one here, the actual woman, she's got white borderline glasses on, uh, a beanie, um, 90s style uh, gold chain necklace, and she's going to have the best orgy in the queerest city of Europe. The thing about this is they're not making fun of this CBC. They're presenting this as if it were in fact cool and funny. They're not making fun of these people. Like you used to get on sketch comedy shows where they'd, they'd go to the extremes and make fun of certain populations. It's not like that anymore. You, the audience, you're supposed to emotionally identify with these people. Uh, what? What even is comedy? I mean, really, what even is it? I don't know. All right. Let's meet one of, uh, staying with the theme of Canada, let's meet one of Canada's best and brightest doctoral candidates in the field of counseling psychology. This came to me via a friend who knows who she is. <laughs> Add on LinkedIn the employment website, the virtue signaling employment website from Lexis Griffin, Shihar, Shihar. So here's Lexis. She's at the UPMC Western Psychiatric Hospital, doctoral student at Carlo University. I am attending Carlo University for my doctor of psychology in counseling psychology. I have a plethora of experience working with individuals and have developed strong communication skills due to my years of experience. She looks like she's about 26. From working as a one-to-one -one aide in schools 
an intern for the Watson Institute, and a research associate senior. I am very proficient at blah, blah, blah. I didn't even read the rest because this is like every resume I've, I've seen over the past 10 years, anytime I'm looking at hiring somebody, young people right out of college, who, who seem to believe that bombastic overselling self-promotion makes them look like an attractive candidate. It doesn't. It makes you look like a narcissist who doesn't have any bankable skills. I am very proficient. I have a plethora of communication skills. Yeah, you also have pronouns and you also have the coquette's head tilt portrait with come hither look as you rest your face on your hand. Come on, sweetheart. Grow up, little girl. And Lexus. Yes, her name is L-E-X-U-S. Lexus, like the luxury car brand. I have something to say about nominative determinism. And if you don't know it, look it up. Yes, I do think nominative determinism. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> nominative determinism. I do think it's real in a sense. It's the idea that your name will guide how you act in life, right? And I don't think it's true in an uncomplicated sense, but there is a sense in which I think it is probably true. I think people whose parents name them things like this, you know, when they name them after a favorite um, ship in Star Wars or a character in Harry Potter or a luxury car brand or some other vulgar commercial offering. Um, the kind of people who would give their children these names tend to be a certain kind of people. Can you, can you guess? I'm going to give you a couple of seconds. Can you guess what kind of people they might be? Yes, that's right. Narcissists. Very good. I think their parenting molds their children and that their children tend to live up to their special and unique names because that's the kind of people they come from. So, yeah, when I see somebody who has a really special name, I do think twice. And I'll tell you what, if I saw Lexus's resume in an applicant's pile, it's going immediately in the trash. Won't even consider it. Lexus is trouble and a lawsuit waiting to happen. She will rip through your HR department, guaranteed. Not mine. Now, going a little bit south, Canada, which is uh, not Canada, Washington state, which might as well be Canada, just like Vermont. We're just another province of Canada. Well, we all know that they've lost their mind, but it's gone. It's gone all the way through all the institutions. So here is an advertisement from the Washington State Department of Health to expectant mothers in anticipation of their breastfeeding needs. <laughs> hashtag DYK. Do you know? Do you know hashtag? If you have COVID-19 and would like to breastfeed slash chest feed, your breast milk is not likely to spread COVID-19 to your baby. But wash your hands, wear a mask while breastfeeding slash chest feeding, and within six feet of your baby. <laughs> Learn more at cdc.gov slash coronavirus2020. <laughs> is it the culture of a state that infects the minds of the citizens or is it the, the citizens and the transplants who infect the state or is it just a great big snake eating its tail going around and around in circles? I don't know. 
We joke about people in certain states being nuts, but I don't think it's actually a joke. I think it's it's true because I live in little Washington, little Seattle here in Vermont. And that is, in fact, what people in Vermont are like. Look at the culture of Washington state. It's not only completely mad, you know, with its big its biggest city taken over by this commie Antifa horde that set up a, a, a two to four block radius of a no-go zone called CHOP, the citizens something, 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 something autonomous zone. <laughs> we don't have police here. This is citizen land. I mean, it's not just that. It's also highly educated medical professionals at the University of Washington who show no evidence of having been through even one year of medical schooling. Absolute nonsense advice. Wear a mask if you're within six feet of your baby. Why? Why? For no reason at all. Because COVID is not a risk to children. We know that. Yeah, yeah, even the CDC knows that. CDC did know that. And you could actually get them to admit it if you dragged them across the coals and let them get burned a little bit. They hated it, but they would actually admit that they knew the truth. We know that masks don't stop respiratory viruses, so why are we wearing masks at all? But certainly, why are we doing that within six feet of our baby? It's almost as if somebody wants children to be emotionally disconnected and not have a bond. It's almost as if these people would like that art style, corporate Memphis, you know, the one that's all simplified, there's no facial features. It's almost like that's what they really want for real people, isn't it? Interesting, huh? <laughs> Chest feeding? <laughs> oh, my God. All right. More from Washington State. It was a bumper crop this week. Let's move to uh, another part of academia. This, I'm not going to name her because this is a controversial show, and I never know if people who are in by Discord and support the show want to be connected with it or don't want their reputations besmirched, but you know who you are, and thank you very much for sending this in because it's delightful. This is a new book from the University of Washington Press called Underflows, Queer Trans Ecologies and River Justice. River Justice? <laughs> what is River Justice? You don't want to say that to my face. I'll drag you down to the banks and show you River Justice. <laughs> Paddle like a pig. <laughs> Underflows. So here's, here's, the, um, here's the copy from the University of Washington Press page. Rivers host vibrant multi-species communities in their waters and along their banks. And according to queer trans feminist river scientist Cleo Woofley Hazard, their future vitality requires centering the values of justice, sovereignty, and dynamism. At the intersection, of course it's at the intersection, the intersection of river science's queer and trans theory and environmental justice, Underflows explores river cultures and politics at five sites of water conflict and restoration in California, Oregon, and Washington. The intersection of river science and queer theory? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but um, underflows? 
are those like underoos? I mean, do you put do you put on a tadpole and rock themed jammy bottoms? Is that how this works? There's more. Incorporating work with salmon beaver. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you have a moment to talk about my salmon and beaver work? <laughs> ah, okay, I'm sorry. I'll get through it. I'll get through it this time. Incorporating work with salmon, beaver, and floodplain recovery projects, Wolfly Hazard, weaves narratives about innovative field research practices with an, with an affectively oriented queer and trans focus on love and grief for rivers and fish. <laughs> Did you just write a whole bunch of, 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 of nonsense words and put them in a hat and just pick them out and, you know, stick them up with spirit gum? What, what, what is the heck, what is it? What is an, what is an effective orientation? And what's a queer and trans focus? And what does this have to do with grief, grief for rivers and fish? All right, just one more. <clears throat> oh, oh, okay, see, yeah, yeah I knew it. I, this, is the, this is where we get to the underflows. You're gonna tell us what the underflows are. Quote, drawing on the idea of underflows, the parts of a river's flow that can't be seen, ha, so it is like underwear. The underground currents that seep through soil arise from aquifers through cracks in bedrock. Wolfly Hazard elucidates the underflows in river cultures, sciences, and politics where native nations and marginalized communities fight to protect rivers. The result is a deeply moving account of why rivers matter for queer and trans life, offering critical insights that point to innovative ways of doing science that disrupt settler colonialism and new visions for justice in river governance. River governance, I'm learning about all sorts of things I didn't know existed before. But I have this question, where's your land acknowledgement, Cleo? Hmm? Hmm? I wrote one for you because you were too lazy. This book was printed on paper from trees grown on the unceded land of the Nematoda Hawk, the Chocta Frog, and the Ooga Booga Googaluga people who have occupied this land since time immemorial. Thank you. But I'm not giving a line back. I'm just going to acknowledge it. Namaste. <laughs> Do you want to see Cleo Wolfly Hazard? Here he is. <laughs> All right, we'll see you on the other side of the break, friends. There's a new perk for disaffected subscribers, and it's a good one. Patreon and Subscribestar donors, as well as PayPal donors, now have instant access to our backstage Discord server. Join multiple topic-based chat rooms and 24-7 open voice chat, and even virtual events on a main stage for hosted conversations and backstage podcast recording sessions. It's not Twitter, and you don't have to pretend Bruce Jenner's vagina is real. Sign up today. Welcome back. 
Have you ever noticed how many hate crime accusations actually turn out to be hoaxes? Actor Jussie Smollett hired two Nigerian guys that he played reach around with in a gay bathhouse to pretend to assault him at 2 a.m. on the streets of Chicago while he was on the way to Subway for a sandwich. And they put a noose around his neck and said, this is MAGA country, right? No, he just lied and everyone bought it. And for those of you in the know, if that reminded you of a gay porno fantasy, it's because it was, in fact, a gay porno fantasy. That's basically the script of 60% of gay porno films. <clears throat> then we have uh, NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace. This is about a year ago. He also lied and said that he found a noose hanging in his car's garage. Well, it was a door pull. Yet everybody stopped and genuflected to the sacred black man, a foreigner even in his own country, because people are constantly putting nooses up everywhere. If you see a rope tied into a knot, especially in a place like a construction site or a garage, you can be sure that it's a noose. <laughs> you know, I talk about, I talk about the, cr the cluster B reversal constantly on this show because it is the main tool of manipulative people. You simply reverse the truth and you do it with such conviction that people with normal moral compasses simply accept that you must have a normal moral compass too and they automatically believe you. It works. We see it work every day. It's also how the big lie works. What you do is you tell the most outrageous and flagrant lie that you can. And you, you, you say it as if you aren't lying. And it's so bold and you're so confident that that just overwhelms people. They can't believe that someone would make a claim that extreme and have nothing to back it up. And why can't they believe that? This is where what I call positive projection comes into play. When we talk about projection, we usually talk about it in terms of projecting our own negative mental states and negative mental traits onto other people, but it works in both directions. We positively project as well. So most people, the vast majority of people, are normal range people. That doesn't mean they're all gonna be your best friend, doesn't mean that they're all lovely, doesn't mean they're all jerks, it just means that most people are not personality disordered. They're, they don't have a fully entrenched manipulative core. So most people are going to be telling you the truth. Most people are going to be acting out of good faith. And the problem is that most is not all. And a minority of people do have personality disorders, are congenital liars, are pathologically manipulative at their core, at the very center of their being. They're not going to change. They're not having a bad time. They're bad people. Not bad time, bad people. We don't like to acknowledge that. So we say, I'm a normal person who would never say something like that. So he must be telling the truth, as shocking as it is. Even if I can see with my own eyes that it isn't true, it must be true. I mean, this isn't going on consciously, but that has to be going on subconsciously. There's always an excuse. He misspoke. He misunderstood. She's misguided, but she's definitely not malicious. And then people trot this out. Never assume malice when incompetence might be at fault. Uh-uh-uh, no. Let me give you Slocum's razor. Never assume incompetence 
when cluster B is afoot. <laughs> I I think we need to take we need to take that. Is that Occam's razor? I'm sitting here. See this thing that happens? There's all this stuff that I know, and as soon as I sit down in front of the camera to talk to you, things I know just fly out of my head. As soon as I'm done recording this, I'll see it, and then I'll see the three comments where you tell me you're looking for this, and I'll say thank you, and we'll, we'll do it again next week. Um, I think we need to get, the, we need to stop with that rule of thumb. Never assume, stop doing that. Start assuming malice. In this era, if you don't, you're you're an idiot, okay? You're an idiot, and you're gonna get, you're gonna get it. They're gonna get you. You are the patsy that they want, because you don't want to assume malice, okay? I will though, and I'm not sitting next to you on the bus. And it comes down to comes down to something, again, that isn't often articulated. You can't believe your lying eyes, can you? You can't trust your senses. No. You might get misled by what you're observing. So you better give the benefit of the doubt to the person who's claiming that white is black and that the, when the sun comes up in the morning, that means it's nighttime. Because they wouldn't say it unless they had a good reason. You know what state you're in when you think this way? And I've thought this way. Everyone gets in the state from time to time. You're in a state of gaslighting. That's actually what gaslighting means. As overused as the word is, because of course, remember, bad actors always steal language, always. They always steal it and reverse the meaning. And our normal person reaction to this is often to say, oh, oh, well, that's terrible. And they do that, so don't ever do that thing. We do it with discrimination. We're not allowed to discriminate because that can only mean bad. Um, and we do it with terms like abuse and gaslighting. Stop saying abuse. Everybody says everything's abuse. It's not nothing's abuse. No, don't let them win that way. Some things are abuse, just not most of the things that cluster B say are abuse because they're doing reversal, right? Um, but you're in a state of gaslighting. And the biggest lie of all that is told right now, for example, is that this, this, this man on your screen is a woman. Take a look at Gavin Hubbard, New Zealand weightlifter. I think he was 42, 43 years old when this unfortunate picture was taken. Great big old half a lump, obviously a man, but that's a woman, right? He's trans, so he's a woman. That's a woman you're looking at. That's not, you can't see it in this picture, but you can see it in others. When you think you're seeing the outline of a penis and testicles, you're not, that's a woman. And if you are seeing a penis and testicles, that means he's a woman with penis and testicles. See how it works? <laughs> Let's get back to hoaxes. So here is a tweet from California Senator Scott Weiner, who ushered through bills that would lower the penalty in California, lower the penalty from a felony to a misdemeanor for knowingly giving HIV to a partner without telling them. He's also the senator from California who wants your kids on hormones and puberty blockers, wants your kids to hate you as parents, wants your kids to see you as enemies, wants to see your kids sterilized. This man is a sick Pied Piper, right out in broad daylight. He writes, not even 24 hours after MAGA grifter Charlie Kirk tweeted homophobic lies about me, I received this threat repeating one of his lies. But that was the point, riling up people against me and other LGBTQ people. I'm being oppressed and being oppressed. 
<laughs> Words have consequences, and Twitter is becoming a cesspool for this crap. Poor Scott. Poor, nervous little Scott. So that's the setup. A conservative criticized a lefty homosexual, which is always hate-based, always, and that has put him in danger. Now, remember, disagreeing with queer kills. You ready for the punchline? Here's the punchline. Take a look at your screen. I'm going to read this to you. This is, according to Mr. Weiner, a transcription of a voicemail he received. I'm going to read it to you without correcting any of the mistakes. Okay, so it's going to sound awkward. It's a shame you come out and you're trying to release all these pedophiles. You're okay with people intentionally giving other people AIDS. And your office can't even pick up the phone to answer about these questions. You're sick man. I don't even call you. You shouldn't even be a man. You're sick individual. I don't care about what you do off hours, but when you try to force it upon California, it's like myself and others. You'll have something coming to you. People like you won't be able to walk down the streets when light comes to the darkness that you're fucking providing, you piece of shit. <laughs> Scott Weiner wrote this, obviously. This is his imagined syntax and vocabulary of a mega Trumper fascist. Because I'll step it. And I'll just like talking stuff. So a drooling right wing fundagelical idiot. That's that's um, that's who he had in mind. Scott did when he wrote this. Whose only motivation is hate. And that hate comes from absolutely nowhere. And it just it they're hateful just because they're hateful bigots. Right. That's right wing people. You know, a lot of people. Tell me what you think about this. I'm really I'm 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 interested. Um, leave a comment under this. I'd like to know how you saw this when you first saw it before you watched the show. If you noticed this tweet in this voicemail transcription, I'd like to know what you thought when you first saw it. And I'd like to know if I've sold you on my argument after you hear it. And and I'd like to know if you think I'm wrong. Um, a lot of people focused on uh, Kevin. Can we put this back on the screen, please? Look at the very end of this uh, text from his voicemail transcription. Notice that there's a cursor uh, there at the end. Almost everybody focused on the cursor and called that the big tell that gave away that, that Scott Weiner wrote this. I don't think it was the big tell. And I'll tell you, I think something else was a tell. Why don't I think that was a big tell? Well, people are saying, well, that's not how voicemail transcription works. He clearly wrote it. Look, there's a cursor. Um, maybe I'm maybe I do things electronically that no one else does. But I can tell you as someone who's had I have had my voicemails automatically transcribed for me. I have also opened up a laptop cut and pasted that transcription from my messages, uh, my text messages, and placed it into a document because sometimes I get threats uh, that I do want to document with, with names and dates. And I'm constantly having to remake screenshots because when I go to select a picture or a piece of text like this, I'll inadvertently leave the cursor there, which looks messy, so I have to go and take a new screenshot. Um, so. Again, maybe it's just me and maybe no one else has done this, but I don't see that as the big giveaway. I don't think that means it wasn't a voicemail transcription. I mean, I think he did write it. I really do. 
But, you know, anyway, here's what I think the real tell is. Um, the vocabulary, the grammar, and the syntax. This, to me, reads like somebody's fantasy of some Alabama idiot out of deliverance. Now, I don't even remember what state that was set in, so if it wasn't Alabama, don't correct me. I don't care. <laughs> but what really got me, look at the last sentence. People like you won't be able to walk down the streets when light comes to the darkness that you're fucking providing, your piece of shit. Providing? Really? So the right-wing, drooling, fundagelical idiot who has no problem using the word fucking and the word you piece of shit would say that you're providing darkness? <laughs> oh, no, come on, guys. That's not what normal people say, and it's not even what, what hate-filled bigots say. Providing is a fetish word of lefty bureaucrats. We're not selling things, we're providing them. Providing homes, providing food, providing care. This is Scott Wiener's syntax and vocabulary, sweetie. This is, this is somebody who listens to NPR. Nobody that you're fucking providing. I'm sorry. Maybe it's just me, but I, I'm... Okay, why I'm frustrated is I brought this up in the Discord, which you should definitely be in if you want to talk to the 250-plus people who make the disaffected community as fun as it is. Ten bucks a month. Yeah, we raised it up from five. Ten bucks a month, please. We'll get you access 24 hours to our Discord server and other goodies and perks. Patreon.com slash disaffected. Subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Or one-off donations to us at disaffected.fm through your PayPal. How'd you like that slick commercial and we didn't even go for a break? Um, I put that in the Discord and people are like, no, 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 no. So maybe it is just me. But anyway, tell me what you think about that. Tell me about, tell me about the darkness that Scott's fucking providing. <laughs> All right. My favorite of this week. Let's talk about Sam Brinton. Sam Brinton is President Biden's appointed chief of nuclear waste disposal here in the United States. That comes with a pretty high security clearance. And what qualified him for this job? Well, this is what qualified him. Put it up on your screen. This is Sam in a dress with a mohawk with three men on their hands and knees in a classroom. They're all wearing pup play costumes. That means gay leather fetish masks with zippers over their mouths and little doggy ears and little tails on the back. And I can't see in the picture, but I've seen some other ones. And sometimes those tails really do go in the inside of their bottoms. <laughs> this is so twisted. Um, that's what qualified him. Not his education, his gender-fluid queerness, his representation. That's why he got the job, because that's how this administration works. Nuclear waste disposal? Get some confused queen up in here, please. We need somebody who knows what they're doing. <laughs> so Sam describes himself as gender-fluid and also as trans. No, you don't get to ask about that. No, asking is bigotry. Uh, he makes videos about how important it is for him to be addressed by his pronouns because that means that people are really acknowledging who he is, not just his job. Yes, this is how it, it's not just my job. They're talking to me as who I am because he brings his whole self to work, fragmented as it is. 
He teaches kink classes on pup handling and spanking. <laughs> well, according to the Washington Examiner, uh, this is, I'm sorry, I'm reading to you from a story from the site Alpha News. Um, um, I'm just reading to you. Don't look for anything on your screen. Uh, according to the Washington Examiner, Brinton once talked with college students about, quote, how he enjoys tying up his significant other like a table and eating his dinner on him while he watches Star Trek. <laughs> now, you all see him. You can all see this guy. I'm going to show you more of him. You all know, every single person watching this right now, that Sam Brinton's choice of appearance and extracurricular activities that he talks about in public, they all tell you something real about who he is and about his character. You know that that's true. They tell you about his stability mentally and his trustworthiness. And even if that gives somebody a big angry, because they don't, they don't want to judge human books by the covers that those humans consciously designed to advertise themselves. They know it's true. You know it's true. You've always known it's true. Take a look at Sam. Yeah, we got it. Oh, this one. This one. <laughs> this picture is very <sighs> the carbon units and fest enterprise. <laughs> it's this picture. He's got his head shaved completely bald. He's like Ilea on the. Um, never mind Star Trek. I'm going into Star Trek. Um, wearing lady clothes and lipstick. Next one, Sam Brinton shirtless wearing some sort of rope harness contraption because, you know, he's a sir. Yes, they really do talk this way. But making judgments about what someone is likely to do and whether they're qualified for a job based on how they present themselves, it's just false, right? It's just false. It's just bigotry. This is just his personal life, isn't it? Even though he forces us to participate in it, participate in it publicly and connects it to his job for the government, it's still just his personal life. It's none of our business, right? Even if we have to watch it. Well, his lack of boundaries between the personal and the professional, they do mean something. They do indicate something real. They do give you a read on how likely he is. <laughs> To be who he is. Well, guess what happened this week? Quote, Sam Brinton, one of the first openly gender fluid individuals in federal government leadership, was charged with felony theft last month after allegedly stealing a woman's luggage at Minneapolis St. Paul Airport. I'll read you more from the story. Law enforcement at Minneapolis St. Paul Airport were alerted to a missing suitcase in the baggage claim area on September 16th. The adult female victim said she flew into Minneapolis on a Delta flight from New Orleans and went to retrieve her checked bag at Carousel 7. Airport records confirmed that the navy blue Vera Bradley ugh, roller bag arrived at 4.40 p.m. but was missing from the carousel. Law enforcement reviewed video surveillance from the baggage claim area and observed B Brinton removing a navy blue roller bag from Carousel 7, according to a criminal complaint. The complaint says Brinton removed luggage, a luggage tag from the bag, 
placed it into a handbag he was carrying, and then left the area at a quick pace, probably as fast as his high heels could take him. Brinton arrived at the airport around 4.27 p.m. on the American Airlines flight from Washington, D.C., but did not check a bag, meaning he had no reason to visit the baggage claim, according to the complaint. So he didn't check a bag. Why was he at the baggage carousel? Why? Are you thinking up your excuse? Make it good. Quote, we can put this one up, Kevin, this quote. Brinton left the airport in an Uber for a stay at the Intercontinental St. Paul Riverfront Hotel where he checked in with the blue bag, the complaint says. He returned to Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport September 18th with the bag in hand for a departing flight back to Washington, D.C., authorities allege. Blah, 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 blah. More from the story. Police questioned Brinton about the missing bag in a phone call and asked him directly if he took anything that did not belong to him. Not that I know of, Brinton allegedly responded. He later admitted to taking the bag but said the clothes inside were his. If I've taken the wrong bag, I'm happy to return it, but I don't have any clothes for another individual. That was my clothes when I opened the bag, he told police. <laughs> really? Not a few hours later, Brinton allegedly called the investigating officer two hours later and apologized for, quote, not being completely honest. This time, Brinton said he took the bag because he was tired and thought it was his. The, the bag that he didn't check, but he thought it was his because he was tired. So he took the bag, though he had no checked bag. He said he made a mistake because he was tired. And then he said he, he went to the hotel and he left the clothes from the bag inside the dresser in the hotel after saying that the bag contained only his clothes. Okay. Nobody found any clothes in that hotel room. Then he brought the bag back to the airport with no clothes in it. <laughs> Here's what's going on. Sam is a fetishist. Obviously, as you knew and as every single person knew the moment they laid eyes on him, everyone knew it. Everyone did. You did. Everyone listening did. He's a fetishist. He, he gets turned on by wearing women's clothes. He gets turned on by the thrill of successfully stealing them. He's also likely, in my view, to be an escalating sex offender. They start off by stealing panties and peeping in windows, but it doesn't stay with that. The thrill of violating a woman through theft of her clothes tends to wear off. They have to get bolder, and it doesn't just stay with stealing clothes. It escalates. To me, this shows something about the construct of autogynephilia, the idea that there are men called autogynephiles who are turned on by the thought of themselves being women, and they do this by wearing women's clothes and trying to present as women. Um, and the, the famous sex researcher Ray Blanchard is the one who came up with this name, and he categorized um, kinds of so-called trans women in two camps, the straight heterosexual autogynephiles, the ones who are turned on by thinking that they're a woman, and the, the homosexual transsexuals, the extremely effeminate men who, who just think they're so feminine that they really must be a girl. And these are allegedly two separate motivations. I think they overlap, and I think they overlap in Sam, too, because he's a gay man. Regardless of what he says to you, regardless of his stupid pronouns, he's just a gay guy, right? Um, but he clearly is also a fetishist, and he clearly gets off on this. And he likes the thrill of, of doing illegal stuff. Dangerous combo. None of this is hard to see. Um, 
But everyone has been conditioned and brainwashed by cluster B values, frankly, that tell people that they, they're not supposed to say anything that isn't nice. They're not supposed to notice when someone is acting this way. They're supposed to think up all sorts of excuses for why this isn't the deviant and potentially dangerous behavior that it looks like. Well, nonsense. And if you don't believe me, um, Maybe you'll believe John K. Euler. John K. Euler is a counselor and a specialist in sex criminals who worked with rapists and other sex offenders in prisons for 14 years. Um, and uh, there's a friend of this show. Uh, his name is Russell, and he has a podcast called Coffee Breath Conversations. I, I recommend it. He had John on this week. I haven't yet had a chance to listen to the whole thing, but I've watched John on social media before. But uh, give Coffee Breath Conversations a listen this week because John Euler is going to talk about this in detail. But he started out and he talked about this on Twitter. And he said, with nearly 13,000 clinical contact hours over more than 14 years, working in a clinical capacity with men who sexually offend, with men who've done very deviant and heinous things to women and children, I can assure you that once you see a man st steal female items, it's really serious. Yeah, it is. This isn't new stuff, folks. The criminologists have known this for decades. You knew this before you forgot it. It's been a staple of um, crime shows for decades because it's real. These men really exist. That's why criminologists have this profile, because they're actually real. By slow degrees, we have been hypnotized by devils and witches and vampires. By cluster bees, by narcissists and psychopaths. With the help of their henchmen, the codependents, the borderlines, the gullible, the histrionics. We've listened to their siren song for so long that we have put our senses to sleep. Ravenous child-eating witches practice their craft right out in front of us, and we say that we don't see it. Vampires get into the side door, and we don't even notice. Even when we can see that they don't cast a shadow, we tell ourselves, oh, you just missed the shadow. Besides, maybe not everyone casts a shadow after all, and you shouldn't be so judgmental. Let it go. Wake up. Wake up now. You've had long enough to wake up. We've all had long enough. No more. It's time to wake up right now. If we don't wake up and reclaim our senses, our intuition, our experience, and our consciences, they're going to eat whoever is left, these vampires. Time is short. It's time to start believing your lying eyes. See you next week.